Welcome to Build Don't Lie, taping this on a Monday morning here in Southern California. Please subscribe to uh, the Build Don't Lie podcast. It is relatively new. We've already changed our podcast theme twice. We used our podcast theme from, uh, we used the theme from the job interview that we did two years ago. Me and Jalen did it on SportsCenter and on Grantland. We just grabbed that music. Turned out it was the music for the starters on their TV show. So we have changed the podcast music. Uh, our apologies. We think we don't think this one's out there, but we'll see. Anyway, coming up, Zach Lowe. All right, on the line right now, he is going to appear on our two Grantland Basketball Hour shows next week, April 16th, Thursday, April 17th, Friday. We have a double-barreled playoff preview. I'm very excited about it. ESPN primetime. I can't remember if it's 7 or 8, but he's going to be on. We're flying him to L.A. Zach Lowe, how are you? Surviving. I'm surviving. Survive in advance like the Yukon women, baby. Just surviving. What is your PR as a dad right now? Uh I'm like one of those I'm one of those players if like if you took a stat away out of the all in one stat for calculation purposes, I'd be really good. Like if you took away my swaddling, I yeah. think I'd have an all star level PR, but with the swaddling my swaddle hands are just not good. Um, if you took the swaddling plus the fact that I generally watch, am too invested in my job for to be a sane person. I think I'm like an above replacement level dad, but I think it's going to take the off season for me to reach all star level dad skills. So the swaddling is your equivalent of Boogie Cousins' turnovers. Uh, I mean, at least his turnovers look good. I, I think it's somewhere between that and and Bismack Biombo trying to catch a ball. I think it's somewhere somewhere okay. between those two things. You give me the Velcro swaddle, I'm good. You give me the piece of cloth that's like you got to wrap this thing around in some way that the ancients figured out and passed down through oral histories. I, I can't do it. We are going to deliberately avoid talking about the basketball hall of fame because it's too frustrating for both of us. Mutombo made it today. I'm on the fence with that. I, you know, I just think the bar has been lowered too high, too low. But uh, JoJo White finally made it, which made me happy. But Sidney Moncrief's not in yet, which I don't understand. But Spencer Haywood made it, even though I don't really remember anything he did as a pro that would that really mattered from a winning standpoint. Uh, you're out on the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, I like it. I think it's cool. I just don't. I just don't like if you ask me, does Matumbo deserve to get in? I mean, I don't know. I don't. John Calipari got in. I still feel like John Calipari's thirty-five years old, coaching UMass, so he's like somehow in the Hall of Fame. I just don't. I don't. So I can't get fired up anymore about the so and so deserve. There are no criteria. It's totally non-existent. There are nine thousand different committees that can elect people on their own. Like I just don't. You know, I we've all beaten the drum for there needs to be an NBA Hall of Fame or an NBA ABA only Hall of Fame, and yeah, you know, it's too it's tired beating that drum. Yeah, and the uh, baseball is the opposite problem. They don't let enough people in. All right, we're not talking about that. We're going to talk about numbers. I'm excited for this. I actually did a lot of homework. I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you. You sent me some. You don't know some of the stuff that's coming. And we're yeah. just going to talk about all the numbers from the 2014-15 season. Uh, one of the ones that stood out for me, Anthony Davis with a 30.9 PR right now, 11th all-time. He is in uh, the rarefied stratosphere with MJ LeBron and Wilt basically um I know you love Anthony Davis but I mean he's 22 he's in this LeBron Wilt MJ class your thoughts uh what else can I say about the guy I've been saying all year he needs to be more seriously in the MVP conversation I think it's insane that if the Pelicans miss the playoffs 
he might not even make the NBA ballot. He's probably been on balance, start to finish, the best player in the NBA this year and will be so for the majority of the next decade. I mean, he's ridiculous. And yeah, you're, 30 is the holy grail for a single season PER. It's those guys. T Mac got on once. Shaq, I think, may have got on once or twice. It, it just doesn't happen. And this guy is just is just unreal. And he's still just scratching the surface of what he can do, particularly defensively. Um, as he gets better and as the coaching gets better and the roster gets better, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the ceiling on him is. I really, I really don't. He's he's just unbelievably good. What else can you say? You brought up an interesting point in the piece you wrote last week, um, or maybe it was two weeks ago, about uh, possible trades um, for Utah. I think it was trying to get yes. a point guard, and you threw out the Drew Holiday name, and it got my brain kind of uh, working on what New Orleans is going to do this summer. I don't think they're going to bring back their coach. I think it's a I think it's a Tom Thibodeau destination possibly, um, or somebody of that caliber. I think you could make a case that they could try to trade Drew Holiday and get one more something, and kind of build the team around Tyreek and Anthony Davis and Ryan Anderson, and you got Eric Gordon who's an expiring that could go either way. Um, if they make the playoffs, don't they get to keep their pick? Uh, I believe it's top 13 um, protected. So if they make the playoffs, they're going to give their pick anyway. But let me double check that as well. Oh, wow. Top 13 protected. I I believe so. Let me, it's top 13 and then like 20 to 30. So I think even if they make the playoffs, they'll be, I'd have to count up the teams. So who gets that pick? Houston? Houston. Yeah, it's top three. Oh, I'm sorry. It's top three. It's not even top 30. It's top three and 20 to 30. Um, Oh, so they're losing it. Yeah, they're not going to keep their pick. I mean, that's a done deal, Uh, which is one of the reasons why. for Ashik. Well, yeah, which is one of the reasons that I that I pitched that trade is because that will be three straight first round picks they've traded, and it would be nice to get one of those back. And look, Holiday is a nice player, and there's this idea that he and Evans can't coexist because they both do the same thing. They need the ball; they're point guards essentially. But the the Pelicans have actually done quite well with both of them on the floor. But that doesn't necessarily torpedo the argument that they replicate each other because even though they've done well, you're paying both of them a lot of money. And there just might be a better way to distribute your resources than paying both of them like a combined $20 million, $22 million to do the same type of thing. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting trade proposal, but his he just has these recurring leg issues that are, are never going away or haven't gone away for two years. And I, I just think that is enough to turn off uh, uh, you know Utah from giving up a first-round pick for him. But New Orleans, it's going to be an interesting offseason. Oshik's a free agent. Anderson's one year away from expiring. Gordon's one year away from expiring. If they don't make the playoffs, I mean, I think it's kind of silly, right? If they miss the playoffs by one game, they might fire lots of people. But if they make the playoffs by one game, they might not. I mean, that that seems kind of silly, but that may be on the table. There's a lot of free agent centers this summer. Ashik, Ashik picked the wrong year to become a free agent. You got DeAndre, you have Hibbert and Marcus Gasol, and you have uh, Monroe, if you call him a center, and you have... Uh, Ashik and um, Brooke Lopez, probably Al Jefferson. Both Lopez's Jefferson. Um, we're forgetting at least one person, but I, I remember counting it up and I got to nine, which I think is a good sign for the Celtics, who are definitely going to be looking for one. But um, yeah, it's gonna there's going to be a bargain. It's going to be like in, when you're in a fantasy draft and everybody, you know, there's just too many guys at one position, and then somebody gets somebody for cheap. Um, the the one thing with Davis that's going to be interesting, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be a top four MVP guy. 
But I think he's unquestionably a first-team All-NBA guy, right? It's got to be him and LeBron as the forwards. 100% lock. And are you going to cheat and you're not going to cheat and do the thing where you, you make Curry, Westbrook, or Harden a guard? For, I mean, a forward for your first team? Because you, you do that from time to time. Come on. First of all, let's not – from time to time, I made Paul George a guard last year. That's you not cheated. a – You hey, cheated. Look, if I cheated, you cheated the, end, the system. Uh, my ballot – I emailed my ballot. And it did not come back to me with a you cheated uh, highlight that I needed to change my vote. So I'm fine. No, those guys are all very clearly guards. Only two of them are going to make first team. And, you know, that's tough. One of them will have to swallow their pride and accept second team All-NBA. I hope they get over it. You know, it's, it's, they're all great players. You just have to pick two. That's life. Can you believe one of those guys isn't going to be first team All-NBA? Well, two of them, really. I mean, there's four, right? Westbrook, Curry, Harden. And uh, who, who am I forgetting? And CP3. I mean, like, there's four of them, Oof. and two of them are going to have to be on the second team. You know what? That's life. This is the hot, this is the best basketball league in the world. Not everyone can be on the first team. Who's our first team center? Uh, I mean, are you cheating with that one too, or no? I'm, I'm going to hang up in a second if I keep being <laughs> my integrity is being impugned here. Uh, I think it it has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be anyone, but I. This is my project for the week, but I think it will come down probably to Marcus Soule and, and Boogie. Um, oh, Boogie. Yeah. No DeAndre. I think he's a solid third-team candidate. Uh, I really, And that's, by the way, I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that at the beginning of the season, that DeAndre Jordan might be a third-team All-NBA player. That's great for him and for the Clippers. I just don't think he's in, in the class of those other two. All right, more numbers. DeAndre since February 9th, 26 games, 13.7 points a game. 17.7 rebounds a game. Um, for the season, he's at 14.8. I think he has a real chance to get to 15. Here's everyone since the ABA NBA merger who got to 15 rebounds a game. Rodman, five times. Moses, three times. Kevin Love, which I forgot. Ben Wallace, Kevin Willis, Swen Nader, and Chuck Robinson. That's great, not, by that the doesn't way. happen very often. Swin Nader and Truck Robinson is a is just a killer tag team of names to end that list with. <laughs> Truck Robinson got his own Nike poster. Yeah, I think it was uh, wasn't but this it DeAndre the... thing. He, he, I mean, somebody's giving him the max. I'm not sold on him coming back to the Clippers. And there's about, I, I mean, there's going to be like a ten team bidding war for DeAndre Jordan. I feel like he's no? a max player. There's it's a it's. If you can get him on the max in this summer, it's going to be a good contract. You just better – I mean, everyone knows what he is at this point. You're, you you better have the right kind of team for him where he has space to roll to the rim and mm. do nothing but that. I mean, you can't throw him the ball and expect him to do anything. And, and the only reason it works with Blake is that Blake is, is so skilled as a passer that he can still stand near the lane and it doesn't screw up the spacing. And CP3 – is so skilled as an overall player that it works, but you, you better have the right team if you're going to pay him the max. I mean, you can't be, you know, you can't throw him on a team that has a, a power four. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't throw Greg Monroe and him together. I mean, you could. It would work okay. It's just not ideal. Would the Celtics be the right team? I think they'll look at him for sure. I mean, I think they've regretted in the past not drafting him. Um, mm. And, and if they're going to sign a big man, they're going to sign one that protects the rim, which none of their guys really do. I think the Celtics are also a dark horse for both Lopez brothers. And I love when I love when brothers play together 
And I got to say, even though uh, Brooke would probably break his foot about 26 games into the signing, I- I'd still be excited if we got both Lopez brothers. Oh, you're thinking both. I thought you meant they were, they were you know, they'll chase the two of them independently. No, and- no, I'm saying as a tandem. I'm saying you go to the Lopez brothers, you go to Arn Tellum, and you just say, look, we want to be in business with the whole Lopez family. Let's come up with a let's come up with a joint offer. You know they want to play together. They grew up together. I mean, they they I would say the odds are at least decent that they would try to rig it so that they could be on the same team, right? Uh, it's they hard. Explore I mean, that. They, they can't play it, but the thing is, they can't play together on the court. They 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 need to they they can't. One would have to back up the other. Um, which is you know yeah, I, I guess, guess that, yeah, well yeah, yeah I mean I just don't. I, I wouldn't want both of them on the team. I could see the Celtics going for Rolo, um, who's become, I think, he's not a better player than Brooke, especially after Brooke has gone bananas in the last month. Yeah. But he doesn't get hurt, and he's a better defensive player. He's probably cheaper. Hold on. I have those Brooke, lum- I have those Brooke numbers somewhere. Hold on. Um, oh, there we go. Last 10 games, 25.6 points, 9.7 rebounds, 60.5% field goal. And he's been basically a twenty-two-nine guy for two months, and he's got he's on player option for sixteen point four next year. I don't see how he doesn't opt out. Um, if he can just get through the last week of the season without opting out, don't you think he's in the free agent class? I, the buzz is certainly that he's going to opt out. Um, again, provided as you said, he doesn't hurt himself an hour in the playoffs if if the Nets make it, and you know they have a leg up. Um, and by the way, they just got two colossal breaks. They're two of their hardest games. Portland is not sending three players, and Atlanta is not going to have Millsap. Um, so, it, yeah, if he's healthy, I think he's going to opt out. That's certainly the buzz. I think the Nets expect that, which puts them in an interesting, in an interesting position. Because um, he's a risk. I mean, look, there are some people in the league who yes. think he's one one foot injury away from being out of the league. And I, if that if that's a sentence you can say about a player, I'm not sure I'm super excited about. Hey, here's seventy five million dollars over four years or whatever. It'll be a very interesting market for him. I I've watched way too much of the Nets since about mid March because I've been watching all the teams the Celtics are. Don't ask me why I'm scoreboard watching, and don't ask me why I want the Celtics to make the playoffs. I can't rationalize it, but. Um, the Nets are surprisingly competent in the last five minutes of games and look like a team that, come playoff time, you know, I think we all thought that the six, seven, eight seeds in the East would just be just be a disaster in the playoffs, and those would be the mo- the least interesting series ever. I think Cleveland would beat Brooklyn in a series, but I also think Brooklyn's like semi competent. I don't I don't think that's a walkover series now. What do you think? Uh, I think it's a I think it's a walkover series for Cleveland. <laughs> Brooklyn's a Brooklyn's a nice team, um, and you're right. They have it. Look, if Lopez plays like this, they look competent because they have an offensive option that they can give it to. And mostly, by the way, not on these little post ups where he backs it down, backs it down, but on little floaters yeah. and pick and roll kind of shots and cuts. That's that's nice. And like you know, Darren Williams, two out of every ten games will remind you that he used to be Darren Williams. But, I, you know, right. I just don't – I don't see them having enough defense or, or consistency. to. I mean, Cleveland over the last three months has been ridiculous. I, I just don't see that as a competitive series. Well, three months ago, we really didn't see anything as a competitive series with anybody. At least with Brooklyn, like, you know, like, all right, we have to show up at least to play this team. I'm surprised by how frisky they are. And, and actually, you and I have talked about Thad Young in the fa- in the past – I have no idea what he does. I can't really describe it, but he has a knack for kind of being around the basket and doing stuff in in big moments. I don't know. I like the feel of 
of those guys. I wish Darren kind of had a brief resurgence in April, for which has only been about five days long. But Darren does have moments where you think like, oh, okay, all right. Don't then, let yourself do it. Don't go down the don't just don't go down that road. Just don't. Come on. Just don't. Yeah. It's I, like this, a drug. Just say no. Just say no right yeah. off the bat. By the way, this is the exact conversation Vivek's going to have with whoever the seven people are in his front office. The seven's like, ah, Darren, I don't know. I saw him. Had a couple moments. Uh, Westbrook, 28.9 PR. Fifth highest ever by a guard behind Jordan Wade, T-Mac, and CP3. Since the All-Star game, 23 games, 30.8 points, 10 points, 6 assists, 9.0 rebounds, 24 field goal attempts, and 11.7 free throw attempts. I do not remember a, str- a prolonged stretch like this by a perimeter guy since Kobe that year when he lost his mind and he averaged 35 a game. Do you feel like there are certain parallels between 2006 Kobe and Westbrook these last two months? That's interesting. Uh, obviously very different players, right? I mean, Kobe's a jump shooter, post-up, yep. creative, funky guy, and Westbrook is like, Give me the rebound and I'm going down the court in four seconds until something gets in my way. Uh, I guess. I mean, both of those guys were on on limited teams, right? They suddenly found themselves on on the, as the centerpiece of a team that was not as good as the teams they had used to been playing on. Um, and they're both maniacs, insane people, and I mean that affectionately. I, 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 I like that. I mean, Westbrook has been... You know, one day when we have a little time and perspective, it will be fun to look back at what Westbrook is doing and really suss it out because he's pushing the limits of what an individual player I think can and should try to do. Yeah. And that's especially showing up on defense where he's just a raving lunatic jumping everywhere and not stopping the ball, gambling all over the place. And the thunder are just a disaster defensively. I mean, they've just, they get over the, over the weekend they gave up or last week, one thirty five against Dallas, one fifteen against Houston, uh, one thirty to the Spurs, uh, one twenty or one seventeen against the Lakers. I mean, these are real point totals that that they're giving up, uh, and they've lost five of six. And they, I'll tell you, this Spurs game on Tuesday is huge for them, huge. And the Spurs are going to have a lot to say about who makes the playoffs in the right. West. I think the I think the Pelicans finish with them, and and the Spurs, if they're locked in, will rest guys. But the Spurs also have a shot at the two seed. I mean, figuring out who's going to be where in the West playoffs, it's like you got to be a Mensa genius to figure it out. Kobe in 2006, his per 36 was 23.9 field goal attempts and nine free throw attempts, which is basically what Westbrook's done. Kobe has played 41 minutes a game that year. Kobe's insane. We're going to look back at Kobe's career in 20 years and and be more confused than we were when it was happening, I think. Uh, Speaking of the Spurs... Kawhi Leonard, since February 28th, 19.4 points, 7.1 rebounds, 2.8 steals, 54% field goal, 39% from three. So he rose that up. And yesterday looked like the closest thing to Scottie Pippen since Scottie Pippen on the defensive end. Did you see that game? What was your reaction? Uh, I think the same as everyone else's, you know, trying to temper this this gnawing thought in your head that you know here come the spurs maybe the spurs should be the favorites and all that stuff is true and and you know the spurs are great i mean no one will be surprised if the spurs win the title i'll tell you right now Kawhi leonard right now is one of the 10 best players in the nba period full stop this Kawhi Mm -hmm. leonard there are not 10 guys better than him in the nba i we can go through the players if you want there just aren't and you know part of that is that durant's hurt so that would be one um 
but he's been just inhuman since he got healthy and and the Spurs are a totally different team when he plays like this. And he's a restricted this summer. Which will which I can't remember what they were trying to lock him up for before it got to the season, but I don't know what the highest number you can offer a restricted free agent is, but we're going to find out with Kawhi Leonard, and I'm sure there's going to be 10 teams ready to give it to him. So um, I'm not sure what the rules are. The timing has always confused me where, let's say on July 1st, you know, Dallas offers him a max restricted contract. And what do you have, like three days at that point? Three days, and you can, if you want to be mean – you the the incumbent team can stretch it out a little bit with physicals and some other chicanery. It it can go to like five days. No one really does that, but it could. Because nobody has a feel for what the Spurs are going to do. I think I think heading into the season, it had a Duncan and Ginobili. It's their last ride. Maybe they go after Marcus Saul or Aldridge. They try to resign Kawhi, but they didn't want to tie up Kawhi early because they have more cap space now if they don't do anything. Um, I would guess as a strategic move a competitor would want to come in immediately and handicap them within the first few days of free agency with the Kawhi restricted. Cause once they sign, once that goes in, then it makes them harder, makes it harder for them to go get other people. But I think that's going to be really interesting. And he, you know, we have market max guys who are going to make the max just because of the market. He's a legit max guy. Um, and if I were him, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd want, as many years as possible. I wouldn't ha- want it to even come down to a restricted thing. So I'm interested to see how that plays out, but I'm with you. It's just, it, it just feels like the Spurs look like the Spurs again. And, and the Warriors have to be feeling like, you know, what the hell? Like I'm sure they, I'm sure they want to, would rather see OKC in round one than new Orleans. Would you, who would you rather see if you were them in round one? Honestly, I don't. I don't think it matters, and I pro- it probably doesn't matter to them. I, mean, I don't. I don't think either of those teams has a, has a chance at all. So, um, if you were them, would you rather play San Antonio in round two or round three? Um, I mean, if you think San Antonio is the biggest threat to you, you always root for round three. I mean, I, you weigh these variables, right? Like variable number one is that San Antonio really gets rolling, and you get them, and they're hot, and maybe one of your own guys gets hurt. Variable yeah. number two is that splitters calf acts up again as it has over the weekend and something happened. There's no right answers to this question. You got to be, you're going to, but I, I err on the side of like, give them another chance to lose and, and play them later. So have them stay in the three, six two seven side of the bracket somehow. See, if I was the Warriors, I would rather prolong the Spurs series as long as possible. But if I was the Spurs, I'd rather play them earlier than later because the thing with Golden State that I, I think it's easy to forget sometimes is they they haven't had a ton of playoff reps. Rosillo was talking about this last week. Like they were in the playoffs the last two years. They they played two series in 2013. They got smoked in the second one. Last year they took the Clips to seven, but now they're coming in as the favorites. Rookie coach, different level of pressure, and uh, you know I keep going back to the 2008 Celtics. They had the best regular season really since uh the 97 bulls you know they i think they won like 66 games they they were plus 10 over plus 10 point differential like just locked and loaded then the playoffs started and it's a different level of pressure and atlanta took them to seven and cleveland took them to seven i think it and then they kind of got rolling in the detroit series and then they were off i i would rather catch this golden state team early because even though they've been an awesome regular season team, 
there's still that level of doubt. You know, it's really tough to win four straight playoff rounds. And I, and also the Spurs just, you know, Steve Kerr, like they, I just feel like they would have a feel for what the Warriors are and what they're going to do. So if I'm the Spurs, I want them around too. But I, well, I know the, this is all conjecture. The Spurs have answers for sure. I mean, they were very well prepared for Golden State's defense. They have the right kind of screening and cutting to counter that specific defense. And they have the wing defenders to throw at at Steph and, and Clay. I just I, – the playoff thing doesn't bother me. I, I don't know – I mean, those guys have been in big games. And you talked about them getting smoked two years ago. I mean – they they got they could have won that San Antonio series in the second round. They were they were very close to being up 2-0 and they kind of faded away because Curry and Bogut were both limping around at the end yeah. of that series. I mean, that that series and that season proved a lot to me as a neutral observer. Like that really opened my eyes about how much of a problem they are and it it I don't, you know, they had a game 7 on the road that they almost won last year. Like if just for some reason and they have an experienced coaching staff, the whole thing, I'm just not the experience thing doesn't worry me. I think it's being overplayed a little bit. Um, and and if they lose to the Spurs, I don't I don't think it's going to be because of experience. I think it's going to be because the Spurs are awesome and have a good matchup for them and can do different things, like go small and all the stuff I talked about before that that some other teams can't do. And all this said, there are some other really good teams in the West that are going to have a lot to say about this. Like I'm not penciling that in as a as a conference finals yet or whatever the seedings shake out to be. I mean, let's not dismiss Houston and the Clippers and even some other teams out there. One thing with Curry, right now he's made three and a half made threes a game and eight point one attempted threes. Which is basically he made history. Uh he's a borderline fifty, forty, ninety guy. I don't think he's gonna get there with the field goal. His win shares per forty eight is historically high. It's point two eight three, which is super high. But um he's also He's nine away from breaking the record for made threes, which he holds at 272. He's got 263 now. He's three of the top five seasons. Just for me, it's like the you know, there's so many great things about this season he's having. I do think he's the MVP, although Harden swayed me a little bit yesterday toward not thinking it's over. But to be able to shoot as many threes as he does at the percentage that he shoots them. Is just I, I I just can't believe it. I just can't believe somebody can take eight threes a game and make forty four percent of them. It's ridiculous, especially somebody who has the ball as much as he does. You know. Well, and that's the thing. It's not just the att- number of attempts. It's that they're off the dribble, and that's what the league had really never seen before. I mean, Steve Nash had a little bit of that, actually a lot of it, but he was more pass first and more of a traditional point guard. And, and not that Curry isn't because he's a great passer, but we've just never seen somebody who can take threes off the dribble. Uh, at this kind of volume with these kind of contests and make them. And that's what, you know, I've said it for years. He's a, he's a glitch. I mean, he just doesn't exist. And he he's a, he's a, he makes you change everything you do on defense. And that's really the primary reason that the playoff experience thing doesn't worry me. Because when you walk into a series with the one guy that you have to say, okay, here's how we normally play defense. Forget all of that. Here's how we're playing this series. I mean, that's a trump card that is really, really big in terms of your confidence going in. And who's got to make the most adjustments going into a series? That that's a huge advantage to go into a series. And you just made a, a good chunk of his MVP case because beyond the whole best player and the best team, and and you know they really have a chance to be one of the six or seven best regular season teams ever. He does change the way teams op- opponents operate, and I think there's a couple guys in the league right now who do, who do that. But you know, Harden, it's like. You know what's going to happen. You just have to figure out how to stop it. When Curry gets hot, um, 
there's just nothing like it. I've been in two arenas now where it happened. I was in Brooklyn when it when it happened, and I was at that Clipper game the other night, and uh, and it just changes the energy in the arena. It's almost I I can't de- even describe it. It reminds me a little bit to to borrow a wrestling uh, comparison. It reminds me of Brock Lesnar when Brock Lesnar just starts going. You don't watch wrestling, but Brock Lesnar will just start crushing the other guy for minutes on end, and the energy in the arena will actually shift. And that's what it feels like when Curry gets hot. I think he's the only guy in the league that can do that. I mean, Westbrook can get hot. Harden can get hot. LeBron can get hot. Curry actually changes the energy. Um, and there's only been a few guys I can remember ever who's done that. Have you been in the arena when he's done that? Yeah, I have. Um and it's electric. And it, here's an interesting thing that I'll throw at you. Here's a question I'm getting on Twitter a lot. And I suspect okay. this, this question is coming from Houston and Oklahoma City. Could Curry carry an offense like Harden and Westbrook? And it's a very curious question to me because the perception, I think, is that, A, he's skinny and little, and those guys are tanks. And, B, um, it doesn't look like he's carrying the offense because it's such a passing motion cutting offense. And Westbrook is just a maniac. And a lot of Houston's offenses really just give the ball to Harden. Everything stops and then a pick and roll happens. I mean, they have plays. That's not always the case. But even he even ISOs a lot. He's one of the highest volume ISO players in the league. And he's tremendous at it. But that that looks like carrying an offense. What Curry does doesn't look like carrying an offense. But that doesn't that question doesn't doesn't fit with me it doesn't make sense to me because just because the Warriors play that way they play that way because they have Curry and because him dribbling and moving and all the shooting they have he's the basis of that and rather than settle for an offense that sort of just asks him to run pick and roll over and over again which he can do they've built something greater that leverages his skill set in in even a better more effective way but it's creating this like burbling of well he doesn't carry their offense they it's it's a more of a team concept with them Whereas Harden and Westbrook are really carrying true. their offense, and I just don't—I don't buy it. But it's an interesting perception that's out there, and I think it's like a, a misunderstanding of how Golden State's offense works and and how an NBA offense works. Yeah, it's a little bit of a lack of sophistication, I would say, because w- when you watch Westbrook and and Harden do what they do, it's it fits into this framework we have of all the other NBA guys have done that. Like, like this is what Jordan does. So give Jordan the ball, and he's your offense. I went to that Clipper game, um, I think it was six days ago. When Curry got hot in the second quarter and a little bit in the third quarter, the Clippers had to completely change what they did on defense. Everything they did was revolved around not letting him get open on, on the double screens and all the stuff they do. And all it did was wear Chris Paul down for the last five minutes. It took DeAndre out of what he normally does because he was constantly worried about you know when Curry coming off, like bumping him, stuff like that. And it just opened the floor up for everybody else. And that's the stuff like you just got to watch the other stuff that's happening when Curry's hot like that because there's so much going on off the ball. And that's how he affects the game, I think, you know? Yeah. And and by the way, that's not to say that that Westbrook and especially Harden couldn't play in that kind of system. They could. They just don't have the coaches or the teammates or whatever that can build that kind of system and Curry does and he shouldn't be punished for that because he could play in the reverse kind of system. But it's an interesting perception. Um, it's an interesting perception that's come up. Let's put it that way. And by the way, that's not, I haven't decided my MVP vote. Truly. I'm going to do that later this week. I, I I'm down to two, but I haven't decided yet. Me too. 
I'm leaning toward Curry, but I want to, if if Harden can drag the Rockets to 58 games, I, I at least have to really sit down and look at that. And speaking of Harden, he's already made 200 threes. He's probably going to pass 700 made free throws. Now that'd be the first time that ever happened. 200 threes, 700 made free throws. He has a decent chance of getting 553 uh, three-point attempts and 800 free throw attempts, which has never happened. So basically, he could create the 550-800 club and the 200-700 club. Um, and then you flip it with what the Rockets just do as a team. Uh, they're first in threes. They're first in three in, uh, field goal attempts from three. They're third in free throw attempts, but they're last in two-point two field goal attempts. And then also... They're going to break the record for most made threes, 11 and a half, and three-point attempts, 33.1. Have we seen the Sloan Conference finally realized with the 2015 Rockets? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen it realized before. I, mean, it's, we're going to, I bet the Rockets push those records or maybe break them next year. Maybe multiple teams break them. I mean, this isn't going to stop. Um, this isn't going to stop. But the interesting thing about the Rockets, they're like, what are they, 10th, 11th in offense? Something like that. I'm looking at it now. And they have a nice offense, and when Harden and Howard are together, they have a really good offense. They've won this season more with defense than offense. I mean, they're good at both. Um, But their defense, to me, has been maybe the story of the season. Their ability to build and maintain a top five, top ten defense. They're out of the top five now, barely, um, without Dwight for a lot of the season. Uh, Mm. How many games has Dwight played this year? I'd I'd have to look it up. I mean, it's He's missed more than he's played. Uh, And that, to me, is one of the stories of the season. But, you know... um, yeah, Harden is ridiculous. I mean, he was absolutely insane yesterday down the stretch against uh, against his old team. Why, 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 are, why are they booing him there? Is it just do you have to boo anyone who used to play for your team and didn't win a championship? Is that a rule? If you used to play for my team and didn't win a championship and left under like somewhat not great circumstances, I have to boo you like all these years later. That it, and I never understood why didn't they let waiters have his number? It's that's I don't get it. What what is the what is the I don't, anyway, let's not talk about it. Let, let's not even go down the road. Let's forget forget I brought it up. Dwight well, this they, season they, has, Dwight has played thirty seven games. They shouldn't be booing him though. I, just, I think I that's just, ludicrous. He wanted he wanted sixty million. They offered fifty four. Um, they came to a stalemate and then they abruptly traded him. I don't know what James Harden did wrong. He knew he was a max player in the moment. You know, like why why take a ten million dollar discount? There's no reason for it. I fully support James Harden. Uh, the uh, the the thing you mentioned about the Rockets defense, you got to throw in Harden in there, who was Damian Lillard level last year, and now all of a sudden is at least decent. But um, I, you know, the whole thought process of basically threes and free throws, which I think Daryl, you know, just looked at the sabermetrics of all of it and just said you're better off just doing that the team they have is not that offensively gifted other than Harden and uh you know missing Dwight that much basically murdered their low post game the threes and free throws has carried them into the top half of offensive whatever you know and it's like this you're right we I mean we might be two years away from them going 38 38 threes a game I don't know where this ends well, the Dwight Post thing is interesting because the guy who hasn't played in a couple of weeks and we're forgetting about him is Modi Yunus. And yeah. that to, him potentially playing with their bench in second units and potentially playing crunch time is interesting to me because the downside of what happened yesterday 
is I think that everyone, you know, the, the word about a month ago, the storyline was, well, Harden's not going to get calls in the playoffs. They they don't have free throw. They're not going to be able to rely on all those free throws. I, I think the secret f- scary thing for Houston is not that. It's that they have one guy who can create his own offense, and it's Harden. And what do you do when a defense says we are just taking him away? Like we're gonna, if you think we cover the pick and roll aggressively in the first forty six minutes, watch us in the last two. We're gonna make him pass, and he's a great passer. But do you have enough juice around him to still create good looks? Because they're not a great shooting team, despite all the threes they take. They don't have a second great off the dribble guy. Maybe Terrence Jones, if he's on the floor, can give you a little bit of that from the four. You can say Dwight's post game or Modi Yunus's post game, but defenses are good at making it hard to enter the ball to the post in the last two minutes of a game. That to me is the, is the sort of issue that they're going to have, and that's going to be very interesting. You know, I'm I'm happy Corey Brewer finally found the right team. He was one of those guys I always liked. I remember right when he was about to come on in Minnesota, he hurt his knee, he kind of bounced around. Um, never really found the right situation. This seems like it's it. And also, got to hand it to uh, to the Rockets and Mikhail, all those people for getting way more than I think any of us expected out of Josh Smith. I mean, were you expecting him to be this competent? No, no. And there are games where he, where he throws the ball all over the court, and you yeah. want to. But he's made a decent amount of his threes he can make open threes from the corner i mean really open um and they just they ha- they have lineups where they're small right they're undersized smith will be guarding centers and terrence jones will be guarding the four and you're like how are they surviving but and sometimes they don't rebound well but they you know they get their hands on the ball they whack at it they block shots they get in passing lanes they do a sort of a they kind of fly around a little slower than maybe some teams that fly around fly around but they, they're just an active weird athletic team yeah um, one thing I forgot to mention when we talked about Golden State, Curry and Thompson combined have taken over 15 threes a game. They've made six and a half. Six, they're six and a half for 15.2, 43%. I, re- I really wonder if this will ever happen again, where you have two guys on the same team combined for 15 threes a game and make over 40%. I mean, I'm sure over the next 40 years it'll probably happen, but man. I just can't believe you have two teammates taking a combined 15 threes a game. I mean, back in like the mid-80s, I think Bird Bird led the league in, in three-point shooting. I, th- I think he was like 45 for 120 or something. And uh, you, do you ever see a situation where they would mess with the three-point line at all? Uh I, I would never say never to almost anything. I mean, they've they've messed with it. Where in the not so recent past, they moved it in, right? I mean, twenty years ago yeah. they moved it in, um, and then moved it back out. Eighteen, seventeen years ago, whatever. Um, maybe they would. I don't know. I mean, I don't. Maybe they would move it back further, a foot further. I don't. It would make it harder for the international guys to come over because the international guys still struggle. It's a learning curve for them um, yeah. to to master that additional foot and a half or whatever it is. Um, but it wouldn't, it, nothing would, I mean, I don't see a four point shot on the radar, uh, but it, it, none of these things would shock me in 20 years, 15 years, big picture. Bird made 82 threes and 93s in back to back seasons, 86, 87, both led the league. Now we have guys combining for 15 threes a game. It's just yeah, insane. Th- three points are worth more than two. It turns out. Um, yeah, it's weird that they played the entire eighties without realizing that. Like the, the three-point line was looked at as some sort of oddity. It's like, what is that thing? Oh, that's the thing we shoot if we're down three with less than 20 seconds. Uh, I Goldsberry had, 
I think it was Goldsberry had something in his column about um, what if what if NBA teams were allowed to determine what the three point looked like every home team, or just a so race? Like Memphis could just get rid of it completely. I thought, I thought that was fascinating. If you want to, if you want to restore home court advantage, that's one way to do it. I, I think that I, I'll say that I think that's an off the map idea. I don't think that, that, is, that I, I don't think that's happening in our lifetime. I don't think Adam Silver would have to really go on like a coke binge to have something like that come up in the league, and that's not happening. So that that it was interesting thought exercise. Um, Tony Allen would love it. You know, it it just it's not happening. You know, I love all out of the box ideas. That was even too out of the box for me. To 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 let teams decide what the three point line would be and where it would be, like they do in baseball, basically. Uh, the Celtics pace and space leading the league in field goal attempts, eighty eight point oh. So there you go. Unfortunately, they can't make threes. They're the fourth worst three point shooting team in the league. But uh, pace and space feels like that's where we're headed. Home court, we talked about thirteen teams right now are going to have a home court record of 500 or worse. There's 12 under 500, and Utah is 500. In 2010, that number was 8, and in 2005, that number was 6. I'm going to say that this is not a weird, wacky coincidence, that there's something bigger going on here. Since we, talk, since we, uh, since we talked about that, ESPN.com did a big piece about home court, and, I mean, everybody's throwing out all, all kinds of variables. Do you have one variable you like, or you think it's a school of variables? I think it's a school, but the two I like are increased three-point shooting um, and better officiating. Those are the two, I think, combined that could have a big a big effect. You know, if, you, if everyone takes a lot of threes, it sort of takes – it adds a little bit of randomness, and it takes away free throws and home court stuff. And if the officiating is better um, – all those trends of the the home team gets more calls, particularly when they're behind and all of that. It, you know, it, Stern wanting the fans to be happy, blah blah blah. That goes out the window. So those are my those are my favorite. But I, I heard you on on uh, the Grantland Basketball Hour with Russillo talking about again how many road fans are there for Clipper games, uh, the StubHub here, all that. And I think that that there's something to that. I mean, you go to a Nets game. I don't. No one's intimidated coming into Barclays Center to, to play the Nets. Is no one is like quaking in their boots, and, and there are a lot of arenas like that. And I think that that look, it doesn't. I don't think it hurts the Warriors that their crowd is bananas crazy. I think it has to help a little bit at least. I'm holding on to three to three points with Celtics Hawks round one if the Celtics get there. Number one, Brad Stevens. Number two. Those Atlanta games are going to have between five and 6,000 Boston fans per game at those games. And then number three, Paul Millsap's hurt. Shoulder sprain. That's bad. We really look as fans for take off the Celtics out for a second as fans yeah. of the NBA. You, I really, we really need to have him be healthy. We cannot, I can't have this whole feel good Hawks thing come down to perhaps your best all around player. Although I think it's Horford, but maybe for the full season, it's Millsap is hurt in yes. the playoff. But, and I think they'd still win that series, but I, we, we need him to be healthy. I agree that we need him to be healthy, but he's, it looks like he's not going to be healthy in round one. The Celtics needed some sort of injury break to even, even the scale, I think. And Atlanta had been, Really healthy the whole season. This is the worst possible time. It was his right shoulder, obviously his shooting shoulder, and the way he plays and stuff. You know, the playoffs are starting a week and a half from now. Um, is Mike Scott? He, he'll be a hundred percent for the playoffs, right? He came back over the weekend, so yeah, he'll be. Did fine. he look hundred percent though? 
Didn't see the game that he I played. didn't see that game either. But Millsap is only right now missing two games. So I'm optimistic that he'll be okay. I'm just going to take the hog. This is always a good idea. Take the team's word for it on injuries is always a good it's always a good stance to take. But I'm going to take the team's word for it and say he only misses two games. Well, I have a fascinating hawk stat for you. You're going to like this. Um, I got this from Steve Martinez at ESPN.com. He said 70 teams have won 60 games. The Hawks would have the worst point differential of any of those 70 teams that won 60 games, with the exception of the 2003 San Antonio Spurs who won the title, and they had a 5.4 point differential. And, so, had, a certain, and had a certain coach on their bench. And had a certain Pop. coach on their bench. But um, I thought that was interesting. Steve Kerr is your uh, your all-time NBA coach winning percentage guy right now is 81.8% win-loss. The next is Phil Jackson at 70.4. Obviously, nobody's ever done this as a first-year coach before, but holy mackerel, 63-14. and 14. And then you think about um, peak records, right? I like, the, I like the thought of peak records. We talked about it a little on the TV show last week. So the Warriors lost yesterday, and assuming they'll probably go 500 the rest of the way, I'm sure they're going to rest guys. Their peak record was 63 and 13. 86 outs were 64 and 13 peak. Bulls were 71 and 9. Bucks were 64 and 11 in uh, 71. I'm sorry, the bull, the 96 Bulls were 71 and 9. 87 Lakers 65 and 15. 97 Bulls 68 and 10. And all those teams had a plus 10 point differential. For you, is this Warriors team one of the best regular season teams of all time? Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they be? It's not, you know, it's a tanking year, but it's not an expansion year. And, and, you know, look, everyone, they lost yesterday on the second end of a back-to-back, playing lineups that they will never play in the playoffs. And that was, you know, you want to dismiss that. But on on the flip side, part of what has made them so impressive is, they will go on the road on the second end of a back-to-back and win by 25 against a good team. I mean, it's been unbelievable how good they are. And they just, like, they've they've had games where, like, they went to Memphis, and it was just like the Grizzlies weren't even in their league, and that was in Memphis. They went to Portland on the second end of a back-to-back, and it was like Portland's not even in their league. The Wizards came into Golden State, and it was like they were playing a triple-A team. It, it, they, they've made other teams look foolish. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, look. Best regular, you don't get anything for being one of the best regular season teams of all time, except mentions like this. But I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason that they wouldn't wouldn't belong in that group. Well, it's a good sign, I think, is the key point because yeah. all of those other teams ended up doing really well, except for uh, I don't know, all of those teams that had the great peak records. And the plus well, ten but, point differential went on to do good stuff in the playoffs. I think the seventy two bucks was the only team that uh that lost in the in the in the playoffs, but they lost to that Lakers team that won thirty three straight. The other interesting thing with the Warriors, they're thirty six and two at home right now. Um you go thirty nine and two at home for the season, that's pretty good. That's that's you're on a, a short list at that point. Hey, tell me if you make anything out of this. And normally I hate when looking at a player's stats and wins and losses because I, I, you know, I think it just usually doesn't really matter. Kyrie, when Cleveland wins, 49% field goal, 46.5 three-point field goal. When Cleveland loses, 42% field goal, 30.9 three-point field goal. Can they have enough offense if he's playing bad in the playoffs? Sure. I mean, they have LeBron. Uh, they well, have LeBron. And part of that is, you, 
the the part of that is you know the more the bigger question to me is love and and is he healthy how healthy is he going to get uh and how involved can they continuously make him as involved as he should be because they've only done that really in in fits and starts but yeah i mean the Kyrie thing that the, the stat doesn't worry me those stats are always like when player X plays well, team is more likely to win. When player X plays less well, team is more likely to lose. It's like what well, that's that's how it works. But Kyrie, did, he's been fantastic this season. Uh, they they uh, their offense does not worry me. Let's put it that way. You know what I do take away from that? When he does play really well, I think they go to a whole other level. It's just like holy, like when he's on his game. And LeBron can just kind of take sequences off and let Kyrie do stuff. They become the scariest team in the league, in my opinion. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Love. 2014, 12 and a half rebounds a game, 26 points a game. 2015, 16.4 points a game, 10 rebounds a game. His assists got cut in half. He's shooting worse from three point, shooting worse from uh, two point. He's taking six less shots a game. And he's getting to the line almost four less times. Um, biggest drop-off you can remember by somebody in their 20s who was a top 10 player the year before? Ooh. It's got to be up there, like non-drugs. <laughs> it's like it has yeah. to be in the conversation. Yeah. It's he was at 26 be a... and 13 last year, basically. Well, look, it's been an uneven year. We all – we all know that, and some of it is is fit, and some of it is coaching, and some of it is that he just hasn't been healthy for a lot of the year. But yes, it's going to be uh, very interesting to monitor how he Do plays. Do you agree in the with Winhorst that he that it might be back issues are a little worse than I think maybe they're letting on? Well, I mean, we've already seen a couple of instances of it gets aggravated during a game, and watching him run up and down the court, he suddenly looks like a sixty year old man. At the Y, I mean, it, it, if it, when it gets aggravated, it's bad, and and then he has to come out of the game and go to the locker room. So, I mean, that, that doesn't. The visual evidence suggests that, yeah, when his back acts up, it's bad. He can't move. Not great. Not great for somebody with a big free agent contract coming up either. Uh, here's last five years his offensive rebounds per game. So five years ago, he's four and a half offensive rebounds a game, which is just a ton. That's basically what Andre Drummond is doing this year. 4.1 the next year, 3.6, 2.9, 1 1.9 this year. Um, and I, I think this – and then you look at the threes going the other way. Uh, five years ago, 2.9, up to 5.1, 5.1, 6.6 6 last year, 5.2 this year. Fundamentally, I just want him around the basket. This guy, this is a guy who was one of the best rebounders the last 40 years, and you got him 22 to 25 feet from the basket on most plays. It it just doesn't make sense. I think it's it's the wrong way to use him. Goldsberry had a good piece about this for us, but just thinking about his career long term, I mean, this year it's, it is what it is. But long term, I just don't see how this makes sense for somebody who's as talented as he is. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, I disagree respectfully. Um, okay, I think it's the right way to use him. Um, provided again, I mean, if you vary it up enough, if you throw in some rolls to the rim and some post ups where the matchup is right, I mean, he'll get more offensive rebounds. He'll luck into some more than he's getting now. But I think when people people look at that like it's threes or offensive rebounds and like, well, you can't have one without or you, if you have one, you can't have the other. And that's that's the trade off. But it's not just threes. It's, it's the additional value of the spacing he provides from a big man spot so that one of the other big man defenders on the other team is not in the paint near the paint near the rim. 
that's that's measurable now and quantifiable. And I think that that plus his shooting, the actual shots that he makes and passes that he can make from the perimeter, that outweighs the offensive rebound. So I, I don't agree with that. I think the way he's being used, the way he was used in Minnesota, where he was still primary, primarily a perimeter player last year, that that's fine. The way he's being used in Cleveland is is less about where he is on the court and more about the way he's utilized on the court. But yeah, I don't the decline in offensive rebounds is not is not bothersome to me. I think the spacing is more important. Couldn't you have both? Couldn't you team him up with uh somebody who could protect the rim on one end but on the other end um is able to kind of float near the foul line so Love can kind of either go down low or he can space the floor either way? Sure. I mean, he's done that before, right? I mean, he played well, yeah, yes, you could. He's played with lots of different kinds of big men in Minnesota and now in Cleveland. He's played with a roller like Mozgov. He's played with a post-up guy like Pekovic. Um, he's played with Tristan Thompson, who's a, kind of a, a roller himself. Um, I think, yeah, and that's what I was meaning before. If you just mix it up a little bit, he'll luck into some offensive rebounds. If you just have him literally standing around and doing nothing, he's obviously not going to get into the paint very often. But, yeah, I, I think it's possible to have both. But my, my general point is his migration to being a stretch forward does not bother me. Yeah, it bothers me a little more. I like I like his. I just love him around the basket, and I wish there was a way to blend both of those worlds. Uh, a couple other things we talked about: free throw shooting. This has become uh, a year of of historically bad free throw shooting. Joey Dorsey, twenty eight percent, would be the worst of all time uh, for anyone with more than seventy five free throws. Rondo is thirty six percent, which would be the worst for any guard that took seventy, um, and then. I'm sorry, Dorsey would have been the worst for any non-center. And then DeAndre and Drummond are both under 40%, which would be the only time that's ever happened for anyone who's taken over 325 free throws in a season. Why is this the year of the brick? Well, and there are two others that we didn't mention. Uh, Clint Capella, who I think shot like 60%. Kevin Pelton's been writing about this. Shot like 60% in the D-League is 0 for 15 in the NBA. But <laughs> I, th- I think I'd have to check if he's made one this. yet. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's quite amazing. I mean, he was like a competent free throw shooter, and then it, I don't know what happened. I mean, just I want to double check that he hasn't made one in garbage time of some of some portion of a game. I didn't. No, he's over fifteen. Uh, wow. And the other one is Jan Mahinmi, who no one cares about or pays any attention. Oh, I had to. him down. Yeah, career sixty percent foul shooter, shooting thirty one percent inexplicably. Like I don't know what there's a lot of bad foul shooting. Yeah. The Dallas Houston potential first round series is gonna there's gonna be some good hacking going on if that if that series materializes. Yeah, Jan is thirty one for ninety nine for some reason. And then speaking of just tailspins, Lance last year um, Oh my god. Lance last year was forty nine, thirty five, seventy one were his splits. This year it's thirty eight, sixteen and sixty three. I sixteen. Sixteen. Was like has, a like a decent three point shooter last year. By the way, it's a he's literally sixteen for a hundred from three. He's made sixteen threes. Unbelievable! That's crazy. I, I and I would yeah. It's just more positive. Duncan year eighteen for Duncan, thirteen point seven points, nine point rebounds, fifty percent field goal. Now, only five guys in the history of basketball in their eighteenth year have played two thousand minutes and averaged thirteen points a game. Carl Malone, Moses Malone, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Kevin Garnett. Oh, and then, uh, I'm sorry, Reggie Miller and uh, John Stockton. So seven. Only five have gone 13-6 and six rebounds uh, in year 18. 
And uh, and only nine guys ever have played 1,500 minutes in year 18 with a PR over 10. And it, and and he looks as pretty much where he was last year and the year before. Why would you retire if you're Tim Duncan? Uh, you know, if you just feel like it's not going to get any better if Manu retires and you don't want to play without Manu, um, if you and Pop have a heart-to-heart where you both decide to part ways, I don't know. I mean, he's he's... And look, there have been games this year where, as great as he's been, particularly defensively, he he's hasn't like quite he's, has one leg. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't quite looked the same to me. And and maybe he just doesn't want to play anymore. I don't know. I mean, he loves the process. He loves he loves the game. Everyone there says he's still the hardest worker on the team and loves the craft of it all. Um, yeah, I mean, he's ridiculous. And you know, I think the the regimen they've had with him from the bare, the very beginning of his career, by the way. Um, in terms of being careful with his health and his minutes, is paid off. It would be one of the better top of the later part of his game prime. Uh, I'm sorry, one of the better later top of the game retirements I can remember, where you don't have to have that one year where you tail off and then it's obvious that you need to go. If he left when he did, I, I can't even remember more than six or seven people in the history of this sport have done that. Um, Dirk. Dirk for his career, 38% uh, free throw sh- uh, from threes. This season, 385 For his career, 88% from free throw. This year, 88 88% from free throw. Uh, field goal, 46%. Career, 47.5%. He's playing less minutes, but it is pretty funny that he's – I mean, he's declined a little, obviously. But it hasn't been dramatic yet. And this is year seven. I think it's year year 16 or year 17 for him. Can he still be one of the best four guys on a championship team? That's four guys? Yeah. Oh, he can. absolutely. absolutely. No best question. three guys. Yes. Can he be the second best guy on a championship team? Yes. So you think he'd be the second banana championship team guy? Yes. Are you saying this because you might be listening to the podcast? No. Okay. I look. I, 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 he's declined. I think more than a little bit. I mean, I love Dirk. Dirk can barely move right now. Um, like <laughs> literally, nice. he's a mummy on the court. They call him the mummy in Dallas. <laughs> His teammates joke and call him the mummy. He cannot move, but the man can shoot. And I just that's. I think second option is fine for him because like you'll see him now. He'll pump fake get his guy up in the air and have a clean driving lane, and he won't take it because his body can't do it or he's saving yeah. that up for the playoffs. And so he's not the same player. But, yeah, I mean, he, as, again, the power if your power forward or center can shoot like that, you start off. This is the spacing argument with Kevin Love. You just start off with a huge advantage. I, I'm, he can't carry a team like he used to. But, yeah, second-best guy in a championship team, absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah, he's slipped. But he's figured out how to angle his body now at these even more impossible angles where he still gets the shots that he wants to get. Doesn't have the same footwork and yet can still just he it, it's all about the angles. He can still he can still get those slivers. Uh one guy who's aged really nicely this year was Powell, who uh the last three years was sixteen points, nine and a half rebounds basically. This year he's eighteen and a half, almost twelve rebounds, his blocks are up, everything's up. Classic uh just needed to change the scenery story here. Yeah, and needed to change the scenery and needed to play functionally center um, on both ends of the court. And that's what I don't know what he's listed at on the NBA official ballot. Um, 
I, I don't know whether he's a center or a power forward. He should be a center, but Noah is also a center traditionally. Um, and he's an interesting all NBA candidate at both positions, but I, I don't know what, I don't know what they classify him as. And by the way, it's all stupid. They should, there should be big men wings. Power should guard. be a center. He should be. Uh, yeah. I, I'll bet you he's listed as a power forward. That's my prediction without checking how it, it, what they have him listed at. I might cheat and make him my third team center. It's in play. That's, I don't, I don't call that cheating. I'm Wade. not like you. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge you and look you down upon you. Okay. No. Wade is at 28.7% from three this year. For his career, he shot 1,305 threes. He's made 28.9% of them. It's the third worst of all time for anyone who took uh, over 1,200 threes. Do you know who the worst of all time is? Over 1,200 threes? Yeah. Antoine Walker can't be that bad, can he? No. Yeah, he's not in the even 30s. Close. He was, um, Antoine was surprisingly decent. 30, 32% career? That's what I'm going to guess for Antoine. I'm going to guess 32.5% for his career. Okay. I'm going to uh, now. Josh Smith hasn't taken you. enough threes to be on that level. Uh, Who didn't? Uh, Josh Smith hasn't taken enough threes to be on that level um, in terms of attempts. 32.5 on the dot Antoine Walker career percentage. Great job. Um, no, I don't know. who. It's going to bug me, and it's going to be obvious. Who is it? Well, he's on TV all the time. Mr. Charles Barkley. Oh, boy. 26.6% from three and somehow took 2,020 of them. No wonder no wonder he thinks jump shooting teams can't win the championship. I would have fined him every time he took a three. That would have been one of my rules. Uh, no, you, you wouldn't have because it would have been too fun to hang out with. You wouldn't have fined them. Well, I would have never actually taken the money. All right, ready? Mystery player. Let's see, let's see your NBA chops this year. This will be good. Nice test for you. Here's the mystery player stats. 20.9 points, 5.9 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 45-36-86 splits, 35.4 minutes a game, 19.5 PER. Who is our mystery player? So give me the rebounds and assists again. It was it was like 21, 6, and, and 5? Yeah, 21, 6, and 4, basically. Oh, boy. 45% in, in 35 minutes a game. 19.5 PER. Give you okay. five seconds. Five, five seconds. We, we have to go soon. You got to go in three minutes. Cl- You're right. Clay Thompson. Rudy Gay. Oh. Rudy Gay. He's perked up season. under George. He's perked up under George Carl. Kings haven't won a lot of games. That's Kings a legitimately a good games. season. You got to hand it to that. It, that might be the one defensible move the Kings have made in the last couple of years. Uh, I was shocked by that. You you mentioned Andre Drummond is rebounding eighteen point two percent of the Detroit misses, which is one of the all time greatest things ever. Yeah, I mean a lot of those are his own misses, but he is uh, he's he's that offensive rebounding rate I believe is top ten ever. And you get up there and it's like a, Moses, a couple Moses Malone seasons, a couple Rodman yeah. seasons, a random Jason Williams season. Uh, Andre Drummond, it, it's you know it's going to be interesting that Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson's had a very nice three weeks. And although this is the easy narrative to to hold on to, I'm not sure it's a coincidence that those three weeks have come with Greg Monroe hurt. Again, the, oh, the space, clogs the, the, lane. the spacing they have. If they start Tolliver at the four and Drummond at the five, it's just cleaner. Now I don't, you can't defend well enough to win with that lineup. But it's it's interesting. It's interesting, particularly in light of uh, Greg Monroe's pending free agency. Well, and Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson's agent is going to make all those same points. 
Uh, just quick, we're going to rip through these because we got to go. Let's soon. do them. Yeah, let's do them. Uh, go Bear, since the Cantor trade, is 11 and 14 every night. And with two and a half blocks. And will eat your children. They are 18 and 9 in their last 27. Gobert's opposing field goal percentage at the rim is 39.2%. Basically, he affects 10 more shots per 100 than every other good defensive center. Um, Cantor in Oklahoma City, 18.4 points, 11.6 rebounds, 56% field goal, and some of the worst defense in the history of basketball. But those are really good numbers, and I really find it hard to believe that Oklahoma City is going to pay him this year or this summer. You don't he's think they're going to pay him? Your guy, more than that. Yeah, minimum he's ten. I mean, they'll probably get him for what four years, forty. But somebody's going to jack that up. I bet he gets more than that. I mean, but then again, he's a you know kind of a center. And you mentioned early on that there are ten really good centers, and we didn't even mention Costa Kufus or Brandon Wright and other kind of backup slash starter, you know, in between types that are really good. Like here's why you pay a here's why you pay Canner if you're Oklahoma City. You when you got him, you're you banked on Ibaka. Ibaka has to be there to erase all the damage Canner does on defense and stretch yep. the floor for him on offense. And and so what we're seeing now of Canner, which is frankly empty numbers or somewhat empty numbers, is mitigated with the right personnel around him. And that that's the bet. And I think, you know, they traded a significant asset for him and it's hard to do that and not bring the guy back. Um, and McGarry isn't ready yet. McGarry's actually, I take that. McGarry's okay. He's not ready to play NBA defense yet, but he's a funky, he's a funky offensive player. Um, if they do bring back Canner, I think I've mentioned this to you before. If they do bring back Canner, if I'm a GM, I'm starting to make calls this summer on Steven Adams because there just aren't enough minutes for all those big guys. But, um, I think they do bring back Canner. I think Canner gets between 55 and 60 from somebody. Uh, did you know that Tyreek Evans has the most drives in the league this year? He was up there last year too. He's uh, eight hundred and sixty nine. But Harden I, Harden is doing the best. He Harden is forty eight point two percent field goal and drives and fourteen point five his team scores. But LeBron and Kyrie together nineteen point three drives a game produce twenty three point six points. I love go to NBA dot com if you want to see all these crazy stats because I mean you know about them but uh, they're great. All right, last two things. Draymond Green's PR is 16.2. We might have to reevaluate PR as a useful metric. If he's the 102nd best player overall in your stat, I, it's it's still a grain of salt for me. See, uh, and I had the I had the flip side reaction when you just told that to me. It's because, high? Well, because he's such a defense first player that those players tend to be undervalued. Like I'm sure Shane Battier never had an average PR. But I think that actually shows you how many like assists and rebounds and threes he's hitting. I mean, he's dotting the stat sheet, all, steals all over it, um, it, enough to get enough for a low usage defense first guy to have an above average PR. That's actually kind of impressive to me. Rubio's first five seasons, the worst ever field goal percentage since 1970s, tied with Sidney Lowe, 36.7% field goal percentage. So congratulations to him. Michael Carter-Williams this year, 38.1% field goal. He's shooting 3 for 21 from 3. 3 for 22 from 3. Rondo is down. Oh, my God. I mean. (laughs) 
I, I don't even know what you just saw, but I, I enjoyed everything that just happened right there. Well, five years ago, he was 51% field goal, 3.5 free throw attempts, 9.8 assists, 13.7 points. This year, he's 42% field goal and 0.8 free throw attempts, and he's shooting 36% from the free throw line. And uh, he's not even scoring nine points in game. He's not even getting eight assists a game. I just don't understand how he's a max guy. I don't see it. Oh, oh, yeah, been, no. There's no that that question is over unless unless Cuban made an arrangement that he intends to keep with Bill Duffy, Rondo's agent. Um, there's just no which is illegal, by the way. So of course he hasn't done that. I th- um, see. I think the Lakers. I think the Lakers would pay him. Well, that it's going to be interesting regardless. Uh, uh, good good luck if you max out Rondo and you have co- just good luck to you. Good good luck. On the Lakers, side, by the way. On, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, Lakers, by the way, what? No, just I I've, I saw I've, for some reason they came up on my like random game generator that I'm supposed to watch every night. And I've, they've come uh-huh. up like they're they're just I'm going to have a bid on this in my column tomorrow. They, they are if they're not trying to lose, they are incompetent. It's just it's, it's, there's no there's no middle ground. The plays they're calling the sets there. It's like Jordan Clarkson. Really nice story. I think he's legitimately pretty good. Me too. The rest of it is just is just unwatchable. The Knicks as well. It's, well it's, Knicks. I mean, the it's weird, but the Sixers who have in, who are running a Ponzi scheme, uh, as Rafe calls it. But uh, at least they, there's optimism when you watch, and there's a couple pieces, and you can get excited about New Orleans Noel. We didn't even talk about Drew Holiday for Alfred Payton and New Orleans Noel, by the way. Ooh. Yikes. Uh, yeah. That's basically you know. what New Orleans gave up. Yeah. It's not basically. That's what it is. Um, yeah, well, Philly didn't keep Alfred Payton. They should have. No, um, I don't know if they should have. I like Dario Saric, and I, and I think that well, of course you like Dario Saric. Well, <laughs> uh, and I think the MCW trade and the subsequent acquisition of Isaiah Kanan, um, I, I point guards who can't shoot are not interesting to them. I don't think. <laughs> that said, they have Ish Smith playing thirty five minutes a game right now, but you know mm. that's neither here nor there. Uh, you're you're one of your favorites, Kyle Korver. Has he needs to jack up his three point percentage. He's at forty nine point eight right now. Forty nine eight. Like one more threes at fifty. You got to do the Ted Williams right, or you got to do the not Ted. Ted Williams didn't do that right. He was offered to sit when he was hitting yeah, like four oh one, and he, and he, he played. played. Yeah, the yeah. Kyle Korver needs to do the opposite. You get to fifty and be like, "That's it for me. I'll see you in the playoffs." Well, he's made two hundred eight threes already. Nobody has ever shot 50% from three, but also made 200 threes. That's never happened and probably never should happen. Yeah, I think you'd have to be a cyborg to do that. He actually has a chance to do it. The only people who came close, Glenn Rice in 97, 207 threes, 47.7%. I think that's an arc is in year, isn't it? Wasn't that the last year the arc was in? I can't remember how many years that was. It started in 95 and that might have been the last year. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an I think that's an asterisk year. All right, asterisk. And then uh Curry in 2013 made 272 threes, made 45%. So what Corver's doing is is just about unheard of and we love Kyle Corver. All right. Uh oh, this is a good one. CP's last 8 years. Last 8 years. These are the averages for his last eight years. 19 and 10. 48, 37, 87 splits. 2.4 steals. 26.5 PR. That's Chris Paul for eight years. One, 1. 1.25 nut shots per season consistently. Yeah, like 1.22. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He's a metronome, man. He's really good. People love to hate Chris Paul. That dude is awesome. 
On a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked would you be if Giannis averaged 29 a game next year? Uh, 10. <laughs> 10. All right. What if Is 10 two most years shocked from now? Bu- 10. 29 a game. How many guys are averaging 29 a game this year? Zero. Three Zero years guys. from now. Not, the answer is going to be 10. Okay, if I had asked you this question about T-Mac in 2000, you would have said 10 Oh, you set me up. You set me up. I'm just saying. Just saying. I watch Giannis sometimes. I really like watching that Bucks team, and I knew the Celtics were going to lose to them Friday because they have too much size for the Celtics. They'll they'll clear out for Giannis sometimes, and it's scary. And teams don't know what to do. And he can basically do whatever he wants and get whatever shot. I mean, he's super streaky. But he shows flashes that make me wonder if – if he is somebody that's going to average 25 points a game in a year in the next couple of years, I do think it's in play. The interesting thing about those isolations they run for him is that, and I've written this, he doesn't look like he has any clue what he wants to do or what he's no, doing. he's freelancing. But, but he's so long that it just takes like one thing and he's at the rim. You're, he's, he's either at the rim or his arms have, you've made contact with his arms by accident and you fouled him. It, it just doesn't even matter what he does. They play, by the way, Celtics Bucks is the last game of the season. If Celtics, if Bucks Ugh. are locked in, if Bucks are locked in at six though, uh, you, you might catch a break days, there. Maybe. Yeah, you might catch a break there. The Giannis getting to the rim crossed with Giannis's ability to, Kind of get stopped, but bounce off the guy and be at a 45-degree angle, but somehow get one of those Durant type of, I'm just taller than you and I'm going to shoot it over you anyway shots. I, I think that guy is freaking loaded with potential. I mean, and then him in the him in the open court too. Um, the Bucks fans should be pumped. And what a shame that Jabari got hurt. Because I think if you threw Jabari into all the other good stuff that's happening with this team, um, you know, it's... It, it, the thing that they need to do is they just need to lock Michael Carter Williams into a gym and just have him shoot threes, basically ten thousand a day. Just all the just ten hours a day of him shooting threes. That's that can would be my. Can you start with twos, maybe like eighteen footers and build out? Not nah, just threes, because I think twos threes. are a lost cause. All right, last thing for Zach Lowe. This will be impressive. Okay. The leading scores for four teams, fifty-five game minimum. <sighs> okay. The New York Knicks. Who is it? Oh, this is. I'm so excited to play this game. 55 games played minimum. Yeah. So Barnani's out. Yeah. Um, and I'm not out. even. I'm not going to look at the rosters. Um, Don't look. You can't look at anything. Oh my god. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Nice. 11.1. Woo! You've advanced to the next round. Philadelphia. Oh my god. Uh, Robert Bob Covington. Yes, 12.9. You've advanced to round three. The Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, my God. You won't get the, this one. The leading scorer for the Lakers. You won't get it. Just just give me a minute. 55 games played, so no Kobe. Yeah. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... Jordan Hill? Oh, he gets it. 11.9. Beautiful. Let's right, keep going. Now we're the, going the, to... Uh... We're going to the conference finals against Indiana. This is like the $25,000 pyramid. I'm flipping over flipping over the pyramid panels, and yep. we're, we're moving on. Indiana Indi- Pacers. Rodney Stuckey. Now, technically, I could say it's a tie because him and C.J. Miles are both averaging 12.7 points a game, but Stuckey's played one more game, so he's actually scored more points than C.J. Miles, so you're right. I'm going to say George Hill's got to be within half a point. Yeah, but he's only played like 35 games. 
There were there was they I don't know where they are now. They were on pace like 15, 20 games ago to be one of the only teams in the last twenty years to not have a guy score a thousand points. I don't know if they've if they've if anyone has cracked that yet. But well, Stucky's got sixty six times thirteen. So they, they, I don't think they're there yet. Um, Boston Celtics, last one. Fifty five games minimum. So the Isaiah Thomas trade throws it off a little bit. Um, uh. Boy, oh boy. Avery Bradley? Wow, you're amazing. 14 for a- Avery Bradley. Those are it. Those are five leading scores of NBA teams this year. I Tim could Hardaway. literally I'm holding a mic. I should I could literally drop the mic. This is unbelievable. Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway Tim- was the, you started with the hardest one. That was the hardest one. Cuz he's been yeah. out of, he's been injured for like the last month so I could, people kind of forgot that he existed. I actually thought it was going to be Langston Galloway and I had no idea he'd only played 40 games for them. Yeah. I've tried to not watch a lot of the Knicks. Um, yeah, so Tim Hardaway, Robert Covington, Jordan Hill, Rodney Stuckey, and Avery Bradley are five leading scorers of the 2014-15 season. This is, um, this is a top five moment in my life right now. I think. It was great. I knew he, 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 The Jordan Hill one was the tough one. See, I thought Jordan Hill was tougher than uh, than Tim Hardaway. I, he really has averaged more points than Clarkson. Clarkson must be at 55 games by now. I don't think he he's is. played. He hasn't played 55. He's nah. played 54. Yeah. And he's averaging 11.0, and Hill's got that beat, right? Yeah. Didn't you say Hill's at 11-something? Okay. 11.9 right. for Jordan Hill. <sighs> Which was weird because they, they signed him to that contract so they could trade him, and then they didn't. They told Steve Nash not to retire so they could. They did all this stuff so they could trade people, and then they didn't trade anybody. And by the way, Jordan Hill's had a terrible season, uh, and he will be mentioned in my column tomorrow. Uh, oh, I like it. A sneak preview for tomorrow's column. Yeah. Uh, Zach Lowe, a pleasure. I'm glad we went through the NBA season by the numbers. Uh, look forward to your column tomorrow. Again, Zach will be on the Grantland Basketball Hour, April 16th, April 17th. Two straight nights, ESPN, our, our massive, massive playoff preview. we got to start working on that, by the way. i got to shave, too. All right, say hi to the uh, say hi to the baby. Talk to you soon. Will do. Thanks.